lot of people are like, hey, Andy Hurley, drummer from Fall Out Boy. Now we, we kind of initially kicked this off talking about CrossFit. What, um, what got you into CrossFit? What was your first experience with CrossFit? Um, I guess Mark Twight from Jim Jones uh, back in like, I don't know, 2009. I, got, I had a friend who knew about him because he's kind of got like a punk rock background and wrote a lot of like essays and stuff that seemed to vibe with, you know, what I'm into. Yeah. And, uh, do you know Mark Twight yeah. from Jim Jones mm-hmm. or, or of him? Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah. I know of him. Never and, met him. I don't want to be like, yeah, 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 we're boys, but yeah. 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 And so, yeah, he was around with Glassman when CrossFit kind of began and they kind of had a falling out and split up. So I was into Jim Jones. I didn't really know a ton about CrossFit at that point. I mean, I, I had heard of it, but that like the i guess ethos of jim jones just really spoke to me i started going to salt lake to train there um and obviously i think their at the time their opinion of crossfit wasn't good but that i think more came from the falling out that had happened yeah but then as so fall up was on hiatus at the time by the time we came back in like 2011 we were recording save rock and roll uh i was in la a lot i dropped in and i was sick of finding like you know strength and conditioning powerlifting gyms to do you know crossfit in because the jim jones programming you know especially at the time was, was still very it was the same like philosophy behind it right it was just you know whatever but so i dropped in at crossfit hollywood and i was like this is the best. Like, I don't know what the problem is with CrossFit because this is amazing. Like just a a built-in community wherever you go, like almost every affiliate I've dropped into, which is like over 200 has been amazing, an amazing experience, great coaching most of the time. Uh, You know, people just cheering you on, having no idea who you are. It, it, It was just awesome. And coming from like punk and hardcore, and, and the community there that I grew up with and that kind of made me who I am. I just really loved that, that there was this, there's something more to it than just, you know, the workouts and, and the workouts too. Like the, I remember going in and being, and looking at the workout on the whiteboard and being like, Oh, this, I can do this. I do harder stuff than this. And it just beat me down. I was like, Oh, never mind. I was wrong. Yeah. And that was it. And, and what year, what year was this when you started kind of with the Jim Jones? Uh, Jim Jones was probably 2009. Okay. And then CrossFit itself was probably 2011 or so. Yeah. And uh, I mean, at this point, like, you know, Mark Twight and a lot of the other people around it, you know, all of that stuff is water under the bridge. You know, I'm still, I still talk to Mark occasionally and, and follow his new, thing nonprofit, which is really cool. Um, but yeah. That's awesome. And I love that. I love that there's like still like peace in that too. Cause I think like, you know, if other people kind of separate or have disagreements, I remember like a lot of stuff like Mark Ripito too, was like a strength and conditioning coach and like, you know, him and Glassman kind of had a falling out and people were like, well, you're either this side or you're this side. And I'm like, well, I kind of like both of these. am (laughs) Am I okay to just make my own decisions? Yeah. Yeah. So I love that you uh, you still stay in touch with them. I mean, I, I agree because 
I think a lot of times, you know, really brilliant minds like that are very focused on, like they have big ideas. So a lot of times at some point that can rub against each other. And, you know, when someone thinks their specific thing, which is essentially very similar and in the same spirit, but they want to do it their way, you know? Yeah. But I mean, you know, that, that can be telling of like a great mind. Yeah. I also think that that's probably not specific to the, uh, to the fitness realm. I'm sure in the music industry, you've seen a ton of that. Yeah, for sure. So you you came up all art. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, even when you expand, I was talking with someone about this the other day and it was like any, anything that someone puts passion into, I guess is like a a considered art form or anything that, that kind of other people get to have opinions on it. And it's, it's just wild to see like how much like, you know, someone else can, can differ, but instead of it being like, Hey, we have, we have different ideas about this art. It's like, well, no, this form of art is right. And as a bystander, you're kind of like, I kind of like both of these things, but yeah, yeah, totally. Um, so growing up in the hardcore, you know, a lot of people don't understand, like even like I would imagine like pulling up your Instagram handle, like the like the XVX and hardcore. And a lot of that, that kind of scene, people have absolutely no idea, you know, what goes on in there, what that consists of. Where did you, one, where did you grow up? And two, like what drew you into that? I mean, we talk about communities, but um, almost give like a, like a scratch to surface kind of level for someone who's like, I have no idea what he's talking about. Yeah. Uh, I grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and the rest of my band is from Chicago. <clears throat> and I met Pete actually, you know, years and years ago at hardcore shows. He was like the first vegan stri- straight edge person that I met. And so I asked him uh, XVX stands for vegan straight edge. And, uh, I don't know how I got into it. I got into like Metallica's the first love musically and then, you know, go through different genres of metal through that and then kind of got into punk and then hardcore. And, you know, these things are all, there's crossovers everywhere with all of these genres. But the thing I really liked about hardcore was that I think there's just more like local scenes and communities built in it. it there's such like a diy ethic to it of you know kids putting on their own shows and in, in different basements like milwaukee had you know the bremen house and like all sorts of basements and places that people played um <clears throat> and there's just and i can't even, i think there's someone at my high school that was like a hardcore kid that i looked up to scott um and he was in a like Revelation Records bands. This is getting in the weeds, which I don't think helps explain any of it. There's, d- there's definitely like, a couple of people right now that are just like, or or when they hear that, they're like, "Yes, I know what he's yeah. talking about." <laughs> but he like got me into like Revelation Records, which kind of was like youth crewy stuff, like Youth Today and Bold, and you know all sorts of bands like that, Gorilla Biscuits, and then I think and that kind of made sense to me coming from punk. And then I think I got into Victory Records, which was really big at that time when I was in high school and like Earth Crisis and Strife and Snapcase. And that really spoke to me because my first love was metal, like whether it's Metallica or death metal or like whatever, like an Earth Crisis especially really spoke to me because 
they were like the heaviest band in hardcore at that time for me. Um, and then starting to go to shows, I just met a lot of people that, you know, everyone's there for the same reason and you're into music. And a lot of times there's more to it. Like there's, you know, more of a message to it than that. Um, and that really spoke to me. And I met a lot of the people I'm still friends with to this day in that scene. And then I think I got into straight edge and veganism because I wasn't at that time. I smoked weed and drank and my mom, my dad died when I was five. So it's just my mom and I, and my mom was really disappointed in me because of that. And that, you know, we had a really close relationship because <laughs> this is getting in the weeds, but I, no, no, I no, this is, for a... this is, this is <laughs> awesome. I mean, I don't, I don't know any of this stuff about you, which is, which is, you know, I've known you for a while. This is really cool for me too. Nice. Nice. I have five half brothers and four half sisters. The youngest one is 10 years older than me. And we have had the same dad, but different. My mom isn't their mom. And I think they all kind of took off except like two of the two youngest, Sean and Maggie. But when they went to college, they kind of left and, and, you know, which I get at this point in my life. And I understood later on that it wasn't personal, but at the time it felt shitty, you know, like it, it hurt and I didn't understand. And it felt kind of like abandoned, like being abandoned in a way. And I think that, that was tough for my mom too, because her relationship with them wasn't the greatest because, you know, all sorts of stuff, you know, being a kid with a new mom, feeling like she's replacing, whatever. But long story short, I just didn't, I had brothers and sisters, but I didn't. So I think there's just always this need in me for like a family, which is why hardcore really, and CrossFit later really spoke out to me because that is kind of the foundation of those things. Like, like it's more than just a bunch of people or just friends you work out with. Like it, there's a family aspect to it. Like it's a really deep seated relationship. Um, and so that's why I got into hardcore and, Oh, back to my mom being disappointed. That's why I became straight edge because I knew about it through like the revelation records bands and earth crisis. And they made it cool. Like not just like, you know, the dare program or whatever, like it, it was something kind of cool and, and personal to me. So that's when I became straight edge and then veganism followed from that because I was into earth crisis and stuff. And yeah, you know, that's it. <laughs> it's wild that I've never really thought about this, but when you kind of think like, I think about when I show other people videos of like a hardcore show and it's kind of like people are like, right. You're either, you're either in it or you, you don't like, I don't know of many people who are like, yeah, I kind of like hardcore music. Like they either love it or they hate it. And I think initially too, kind of like CrossFit is that once you got it and you were into it, it was like, well, why doesn't everyone else love this stuff? And it does have that community aspect, but it was very similar to when in, you know, in the early years of CrossFit for me, I'd show people videos of people doing CrossFit and I wouldn't be like, mm, not so sure about that one. And, but it, yeah. it is that, that major community aspect that, that is kind of the draw. I mean, there's the draw and the passion for it, but then there's like, what keeps you in there? It's like, I don't think I would do, I don't think I would do CrossFit if I, if I could only do it by myself. 
Like if I could only oh, yeah. go into the gym and just just you know smash my dick into the dirt every single day, and there was no one else who was willing to do it with me, I don't know. I don't know how long I'd stay on board yeah. with that. Yeah, totally. I agree. And you talked about you have a training partner now, and that's you. You're at home. You're still living in Portland, right? Or just outside? Yep. And you have a gym at your house. Yep. Who are you training with? Uh, his name's Dan. He actually works at the coffee shop I own that he's a co-owner in. Um, and he's like, he's a vegan straight edge kid and, or I guess man. <laughs> I think in hardcore, you just stay kid forever. Uh, but he, he's like a fitness guy. He wasn't into CrossFit either. Um, but he kind of did his own stuff, like mostly powerlifting and running. Um, and I think during the pandemic, he obviously couldn't train at the gym he was going to. So he was like, Hey, do you mind if I work out there? And he, you know, did his own thing while I did, you know, my programming. And then at some point he's just like, Hey, can I just work out with you? And I was like, hell yeah, that'd be awesome. Cause I didn't have a training partner yeah. and I did work out alone, except on tour. I, I drop into affiliates. Um, and yeah, he, he fell in love with it as well. And, uh, you know, I think he, I, I don't know that he's really dropped into many affiliates. So I don't think he knows that aspect of it, but I think he loves, he's kind of a, a, someone who needs to punish themselves with fitness, you know? Yeah. And he's like, he's like, I wish he had a real coach. Cause I think he could really do well in the competitive side because he is super fit. He ran his first marathon ever with no training. And like, I don't know what's a good time for that. Definitely sub three. I, I, sub I, I don't three? know. Or, yeah. Let me, let me I think. Mean, sub, he, sub four he, with no training would be insane. Sub three with no training is like superhuman. What, what would that be for uh, average mile? Because I think he can hold like a, a seven minute mile for a marathon. Okay. Yeah. That's or something like that. That's fast because I want to say a 10 minute mile holding sub tens will get you a sub four or maybe it's nine, but okay. So yeah, maybe that's, eight. yeah, that's, I mean, regardless, that's insane. I, it, it, yeah. It, it's mind boggling. I mean, he's super fit and it's kind of genetic, I think to an extent, but like he obviously works out a lot. Mm. Um, and I'm just not a good enough coach to help dial in his technique for the Olympic lifts and stuff. Yeah. Which I don't mind now because I still can beat him on stuff. I feel like if I unlock <laughs> that, <laughs> then I'm screwed. But you're just holding them back. You're like, yeah, man, that looks good. Knowing <laughs> that you could give him a cue, but you're like, man, once he gets that, it's over. Yes, totally. Um, it's true. And so that's, that's like the at home world. You said you own a coffee shop. You guys own a coffee shop together. Uh, yeah, I own a coffee shop with a few friends. And is that in Portland? Yep. In Portland. What's it called? Southwest waterfront. It's called Oracle, Oracle coffee. Do you source your own beans? Do you roast them there? Do you get it? Like what's, what's the vibe there? Uh, we work with this roaster called terrain. That's local in Portland. Uh, I mean, I think eventually we'd like to 
roast our own, but at this point we have to, we're, we're looking for a new space to expand, but that's a bridge to cross later. Yeah. Of the other, you know, 9,000 things you have going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, that's kind of a thing that I just bankroll, I guess, and then they run it. How many and people kinda, are involved? In mostly this? hands off. Uh, say there's besides me, there's four owners or other co-owners. And it's a thing where, you know, we kind of just offer a stake when people have been there for a while and really put their all into it just to give them a, you know, something to, to have as a part of it. Yeah. I think that's incredible, especially because that's how you get, you know, the passion from people who maybe wouldn't ordinarily do it where it's like, Hey, yeah, I have some money, go do it. It's like people that really have that sweat equity and that investment in there. That's really cool. Yeah, totally. So let's talk, I want to kind of talk about tour life too, because you mentioned it's like, Hey, here's my at home. You know, you wake up, you know, eight 30, you, you know, you're doing your thing here. Now I'm sure tour life now looks much different than tour life when you kind of started off in, in bands, but what is a, uh, what does a typical tour look like now, as far as from a health and wellness, a fitness perspective, and then just kind of, kind of what your day to day looks like. Yeah. Um, I mean, now everyone's pretty conscious of, of that stuff as we get older and it gets more difficult, you know, physically and, you know, mentally as well, because ever I don't have kids, but everyone else in the band has kids and families. And, you know, I do have my fiance and our dogs, which is difficult leaving them. Yeah. Um, so you know, you you got to do everything to make it not suck, you know? And for me, I think I, I used to bring out like a rig, like a rogue squat rack and uh, an air, air bike and a rower and all sorts of stuff. And then just set it up every day and do an approximation of my programming or as close as I can. Um, but now I just prefer dropping in because it's a way to get away from the venue. It's a way to like be around other people than the band and kind of be social, you know, and it's, it's just more fun for me. And I, I feel like my workouts, I get more out of them when I'm around other people. Like you were saying, like, it's just hard because no one else in the band does CrossFit. They they do other stuff sometimes, but they don't work out with me, which mm. I would love if they did. Um, and it can be difficult. Not difficult really to stay consistent. I think the my routine on tour, it really helps to have that, like my workout time and whatever. But the, what's it called? The, the, Damn it. It's a simple word. The intensity, the intensity isn't always there. Sometimes I'm just kind of going through the motions. And on top of that, I prefer a class workout to my programming because my programming is a little too much for tour. Um, I think the older I get, I just can't, I, I don't need to do, you know, a thousand things a day. Right. 
like I, I've definitely burnt out doing that last tour in the States. I pulled something in my back, just doing like back squats at a pretty lightweight for me. But I think I was just, it's the accumulative volume, you know, yeah, the volume sleeping in hotels and sleeping weird, sleeping on the bus. Like I just need to maintain on tour and not worry about, you know, increasing my fitness and hitting PRs or whatever. So it's just more fun to drop in for so many different reasons. And yeah, I mean, that's about it. We have caterers on, on our tours now. So my eating's pretty consistent and pretty good. Um, you know, I still get food from places I love in cities. So it's not as good as it could be, but I, I don't care about that. that. That's why I work out. So I can eat a little shittier, I guess. Part of enjoying <laughs> it all, right? Yeah, totally. There's, um, there's definitely times and, and I feel like, I can speak to this from like the little experience I've had on tour. There's times when it's great having equipment and I've even been on tours where almost everyone is, is doing whatever programming that I'm saying and I'll I'll coach people through workouts and I'll do the workouts. But there are definitely times when you're spending that amount of time around people where it's like, Hey, I'm going to go to an affiliate, not just that I want to, you know, meet new people and get the community aspect, but being told what to do in a warm up. I always warm up better at an affiliate because if not, it's like, you know, someone, people even write a warm up for me and it's like, do 10 of these. And I'm like, you'll be lucky to get me to do two of those. And I'll be like, okay, you know, I kind of yeah. feel warm. But when you're in that class setting and you get warm, it's always funny too. Cause afterwards I'm like, man, I should really do these warm ups. I should really do this. I feel good right now. Like I feel great. My joints don't hurt, but Sometimes it takes that class setting to, 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 you know, to, to get you back on there and turn your mind off. They're telling you what to do. You get the camaraderie aspect. There's, there's a lot of cool things about the drop-ins. Yeah, totally. I, I think that's a really good point about the warm-up. I definitely, I mean, there are days where I'm, you know, doing something with the equipment I had on tour and I don't even warm up. I just start, I just tell myself like I'll start kind of slow. First and rounds I'll of warm-up. Up. <laughs> yeah. And I guarantee that had something to do with pulling something on my back that I just, that was at a hotel gym that had like a squat rack. Yeah. So I guarantee I was just doing, you know, a couple reps at the bar and like, okay, I'm good. And unfortunately I'm not young anymore and I can't get away with that. Like I used to be able to. You just had a birthday too, right? Yeah. How old did you turn? Uh, 43. 43. And still, absolutely, yeah. and still rock. I mean, what's funny is it's like, like, oh, I'm not as you know, not as young as I once was. But I mean, you th- I think about touring one now, but two, ten years ago, twenty years ago, people in their forties were. I mean, it was just a whole different style of like holistic oh, yeah. and health and. Yep, totally, absolutely. What are uh, you have any good drop-in stories or favorite drop-ins from from being on tour or anything? Uh, We'll, we'll talk about like like gym stuff first, like favorite favorite one, and then like any good stories from either traveling to or from affiliates. Uh, my favorite's probably that training grounds I did at Reebok that one year. Yeah. Were you there? Yeah, when we did the hill, that ski hill. Yep, with Ben Bergeron, and that yep. was that was probably the most memorable because that was absolutely brutal. I remember that because Matt Del Valle, um, 
had reached out to you for get yeah, some like Reebok gear, and you guys were on tour with Wiz Khalifa, the Boys of Summer tour, which was yep. in, which was just awesome. By the way, it was the funny thing was is that like the you would think like a hip hop act, and then in Fall Out Boy they would have like different fans, but I feel like they all wore the same thing. It's just at what level they wore them. It was all skinny jeans, just a pattern if people were sagging uh-huh. them or not. And it was yeah, but like that's when I went out. And I think the next day, Matt and I picked you up from the hotel, and that was kind of like day one of training grounds because that was the the camp that I ran. And yeah, yeah, I knew you were there for that. I wasn't sure if you were there at the ski hill. I think I think there were two different sessions. I think you were at one when I was back in. But I've I mean each year I've done that with Ben, and I'm the person who goes out the fastest on the first one, and then like yeah. skips a couple because like I can't like I'm throwing up in the bushes somewhere. Yeah, yeah. It was it was definitely throw up style. One of my one of my favorite stories from that one is, you know, we're around all these athletes and everyone, you know, everyone's like, hey, we have to like act cool. Andy Hurley's here, like, we'll all just act cool. And and you came up and you're like, hey, can you uh, can you introduce me to him? And I looked over, I was like, Spencer Hendel. You're like, yeah, he like I like him from just you know like from a competition standpoint, and I'm like. Yeah, one of the you know, biggest rock stars in the world. Yeah, sure, I'll introduce you to Spencer Hendel over here. But it was uh, yeah, it's just cool to see that you know the passion and carryover. But everyone was so stoked to um to have you there and to see you there. And I remember that being like one of the more memorable things of like any of the training grounds is is having you drop into that and, yeah. then, and coming back. So that's awesome. Yeah, that was awesome. That was probably the peak of my fitness too. So I, I wouldn't say like. I could compete with them, but I could kind of keep up and that was cool. Yeah. I want to say, I thought I remember seeing videos of you training a couple of years later. And that was like, just from like a weight perspective and like size perspective, I was like, okay, he's putting on, he's putting on some muscle there. Cause I remember you being, being fit, but probably a little skinnier. And then it was like a couple of years later. I'm like, okay, my man is, my man's getting jacked right now. <laughs> nice. That's uh, good to hear. <laughs> So, but outside of that, any other just like, I mean, kind of like a typical or like regular gym, any coaching, any things that you, what do you look for? Is it just like closest affiliate, closest class schedule, or is there anything, do you have people that are recommending you certain gyms? Uh, all of the above. I think if there's recommendations, I'll go there. Or if there's like, you know, a, a legendary coach or something or a, a gym I've heard of that's kind of big, I'll, I'll go there. Otherwise, it's just whatever's closest. And I kind of like that too, because then you're just seeing, you know, uh, more homegrown affiliates and, and what they're like, rather than like, you know, a, a big place where like CrossFit East Nashville or whatever, where Tia might be there. Right. Um, I went there actually, I think I was with my fiance for New Year's Eve or something or Christmas and I dropped in. That was really cool. That, that place is huge. Enormous. Huh, yeah. Like too too big. Like there's too much space. <laughs> it's wild. But that was great. Um, but it's good to see both sides, you know. Um yeah, but I, I don't know. I, I don't I just look for an experience, really. I don't need anything specific because I can, you know, regardless of how the coaching is, I can I think I'm proficient enough to be safe in anything I do. And, you know, as long as there's something I can 
put a little intensity to that's good enough for me. But it's definitely cool going to places with, you know, awesome coaches that really, you know, just give you one little thing that changes your entire game, you know, and that's happened a lot. Yeah. Even if it's not kind of, what's that? I was going to say, even if it's not like something new, but the way that it's delivered to you and just how I I'm, I'm on the same boat. Love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the first time you've figured it out really. Like you've heard it before, but you've never heard it that way. Yeah. Like the aha moment. I guess that's what I look for. Just, Cause I, and I like being poached. I like someone saying like, Hey, do this. So, and cause I was just in, I was just in Phoenix for my birthday with my fiance because she had, she runs a bunch of emo nights and uh, like the parties and DJs then. And she's DJing for like a, a music group at a festival in Texas called so what fest. And so she had rehearsal there. So I just tagged along and uh went to i actually co-own uh jump ship the two jump ships in hawaii and the new one in phoenix with seth and danny oh no way so yeah so when you talk about you having like a thousand things to do like you weren't kidding like there's probably a list of a thousand that's awesome man well well they run those and they're you know they're excellent like gym owners Mm -hmm. and programmers and everything uh so i went the new gym in phoenix um and did like a we just did the class workout seth and i but we did a birthday version where it was 43 reps of everything and we did a team style so we split it up but it was like a a pyramid and then back down so we both did 43 reps of everything except our muscle-ups which he did most of the reps but i definitely we had power cleans and i was definitely doing some pretty shitty power cleans just to get through it, which Danny was laughing at me, but you know, sometimes that's okay. And, and I just want to get through it and I don't care. But most of the time I want someone to be like, you, you know, you need to reestablish yourself and which is what I wasn't doing. I was just kind of going to hear and dropping. Yeah. At the I was time, like, I stood up. I stood up. It's okay. <laughs> the rep counts. Maybe it wasn't the prettiest, but it counts. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I um. That it always brings me like a funny point too when people are like, you know, I wasn't moving well, but I was aware and I was okay. And it's like when you've built a capacity of consistent training over the span of years, it's almost like. And I don't want to say this is like the okay thing because the next thing people are going to be like, oh, Connor said it's okay to move with poor form. Like it's you've almost earned the ability because of your capacity to move at a level that isn't necessarily optimal, meaning that if you have a lightweight on the bar and your back is rounding a little bit on deadlifts, like that's not what's going to be the thing that sidelines you. And but there's people that come in. And they're always wanting to have that intensity and they're always want to be like, Hey, I'm a, I just want to go fast today. I just don't care. And you're like, well, you've almost got to build this capacity to be able to not only operate in good positions, but also to be able to be safer in non-optimal positions and stuff that life demands. But it's always interesting. You know, some people will hear that and be like, Oh, CrossFit doesn't care about mechanics. And it's like, we, we do a lot. I tell you, but 
there are times, and, and, oh, I, totally. and I agree with you there, where you're like, hey, my elbows were down a little bit. I wasn't like, you know, it's the same thing when you talk about being proficient enough in movement to go to a gym where maybe the coach isn't so knowledgeable. Or it's like, I'm still going to get a good workout. Maybe I'm not getting as good of coaching. But at the same point, it's like if a coach yeah. comes up to me during a class and like, hey, when you squat, I want your knees to touch together. I mean, I've got obviously enough awareness and you do as well to be like, mm, maybe I'm not going to do that. But <laughs> yeah, I don't know much. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Uh, I went to like a, a training camp or they call it a symposium for nonprofit, which is the new Mark Twight thing with uh michael blevins who used to be at jim jones as well and uh it's really good because it's very philosophical um about their approach to training and fitness um and and michael blevins was talking about just that like so it's okay to train in maybe not the best positions because those positions are only unsafe because you're i mean that not not always but they are definitely unsafe because your body doesn't train those positions. So like, like you said, like a really heavy deadlift where your back is going to round a little bit for a power lifter who can deadlift a thousand pounds. That's not a bad position for them. They're that's a perfectly fine position for them because they've trained like every aspect or every potential angle of of that position. Right. Like, yeah. So them doing it is a part of how they lift. Like that's only a bad position for someone who's coming in off the couch or someone who doesn't take the, have the focus and care to train good positions enough to be able to get in bad positions and still like have the musculature and support to make it not bad. Right. Yeah. That to be able to understand what you're saying, it takes this like level of knowledge and training that is is beyond like, you know, sometimes you'll speak with novice coaches and they're like, oh no, you you never want that. But uh, but to understand what you're saying, it's like, it's, it's sometimes so far leaps and, and bounds beyond what either a trainer or athlete's knowledge is that it's not often brought up. And yeah, totally. If you... You know, I think the the most common way I've heard of people like, you know, blowing their backs out is like like putting a pair of pants on, and it's like they lose their balance and you're and you're in a rounded position, and that's someone who just simply doesn't have a capacity in a in a position where your spine is flexed. But if you're training these functional movements and you have an enormous capacity, like that's not what's going to do it. You know, that's and, yeah. and so it's almost like you know, that there is this fine line or balance because you don't want to be like, well, I've been doing CrossFit for a year so I can completely flex my spine on this next deadlift. And you're like, there's there's a difference between acceptable and non-acceptable, but the level of knowledge that it takes to get there, um, it's super interesting. The, you, you were, they were talking about that at a symposium you were doing? Yeah, yeah, for nonprofit, which is the Mark Twight. Yeah. Michael Blevins project. What is a... But he, he's... He's really into, I can't remember, I don't even remember what it's called. It's like, damn it, I, I'd have to text you and because I'd have to look it up. But it's like joint mobility stuff. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what it's called. But it's basically like, you know, figuring out the the edge of what your joint can do. And then like training just a little past it and holding it 
and then pulling back and going further. Oh, there's a there's a name for it. And Michael Blevins was telling me about that as something that could really help me because I'm pretty inflexible in my T-spine and my hips and, you know, all sorts of stuff. And, and just, I wish I could remember what it's called. Anyway, that, that was kind of that, like, or that went along with that. Like, as you train your joints and further, you know, what would be unsafe positions, you start to, like, strengthen them in those positions. Therefore, those positions become less unsafe. Like, I mean, it's like the whole philosophy of CrossFit. Our fitness is only as good as the the edges of our capability or our work capacity, which is the, the point of CrossFit is, you know, uh, a, a, work, a work capacity in all sorts of domains. Like you're pushing in time domains, you're pushing in, you know, uh, like specific, like monostructural or gymnastic or, or Olympic lifting or powerlifting or, you know, like all of these things were pushing the edges of our understanding so that our fitness capacity is what's the core of that. And as we expand it, you know, that core grows. Right. And I think, I mean, first off, that's true for anything in life. I was going to say to, to what you were saying about, like we're talking about foundations, like, like foundational things in fitness. That's true for sports. Like if you're a basketball player, you know, foundation fundamentals, that's the most important thing, right? If you're a musician fundamentals, like as a drummer, like, uh, you know, rudiments, like drill your rudiments, know your rudiments. Like these are things that as we increase our ability and, and the fundamentals of anything, like one, that's, the better you get and the more like mastery you have is when you can go off script and do something different and do something new and do something uncharted, you know, which is true for any sport, any art, like until you know the fundamentals of, of screenwriting, you can't go off and write a movie in a totally different way. Cause it's probably going to suck. But if you're a master of it, like you can come up with something super creative and never before thought. But that's true for anything. But then also, you know, what I'm saying with like the joint thing, like if you drill these things, I mean, you know, like the person who pulls their back because they bent over to tie their shoes, like that's because they're not pushing those, the edges of those experiences, you know? And I think the takeaway is we have to do that in every aspect of our lives. It's so cool to hear you say that as someone who is obviously, you know, we, we talk about virtuosity and being able to do the common uncommonly well. And that's the goal to, to master the basics to then be able to expand. So it's like, just because you know the basics and you want to master the basics, that doesn't mean that you have to stay there. However, it is what's required about going outside of that. And as someone who obviously has learned from you know, from the top down or from, you know, from the bottom up and learning every aspect of your craft, like that threshold speed and threshold training is, is how you continue to be a better drummer. And have you found that your fitness has helped you in drumming? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I just, an hour and a half show isn't really, doesn't affect me much, you know, like 
it helps it helps be loose for an entire hour and a half because you know i'm not like death gripping my sticks because i'm breathing uh, you know i'm about to die and pass out <coughs> did you ever ex- yeah absolutely did you ever experience that when you were um like coming up and drumming because i remember i remember once we were talking about it and you didn't you didn't start as a drummer, right? Didn't you, didn't you play like another instrument when you like very first started? Yeah. I, I started on saxophone in middle school though. So, well, yeah, but I, I like just, like but, I, play, but about, I play drums as well. I just played sax in the, in the school band because I wanted to be in school band. Yeah. Yeah. Did they not yep. have a percussionist in school band? Uh, I, they just didn't have room for another drummer. <laughs> I think it was I bet they feel silly. eighth grade that I finally got in. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, once, once you were, once you started drumming, what was, what was kind of the path from there to being, cause I know you're, you're also drumming and doing stuff for more than just fallout boy, but you, what was kind of the, like the path with that? What, what gave it to you where it was like, Hey, this is, this is where I want to be. This is my passion. How did, how did that kind of start? I mean, that's obviously incredibly interesting. Uh, I mean, as far as wanting to be a drummer, that happened, you know, my first memories of listening to music, I got, I went to like Tower Records or, you know, what, I can't remember what it was called, Sam Goody or something. It was at malls oh, back man, in the day. Sam Goody. And, and it was when they still sold vinyl and I got Metallica Ride the Lightning when it came out and I... I mean, that's my first musical memory. And that's when I was like, I want to be a drummer. So I don't know. That kind of was like the only thing I ever wanted to do. And then, you know, which is why I wanted to be in school band because I wanted to play drums and then meet other drummers and and learn more. And I was taking lessons, but then it was really when I started a band in high school that or joined a band in high school that I was just like, yeah, this is, you know, I don't have any other, I'm not doing anything else. Um, And also when I stopped taking lessons, because I just, all I wanted to do is play in a band. I don't, you know, I've never been like, I'm not like Matt Garska, who's like, in my opinion, the greatest drummer of all time, the greatest living drummer. Um, I just don't need to be, like on this next level of, of progressive drumming, like I'm okay with just playing what I like to play and being, I guess, uncommonly good at that as much as I can be. Um, that's kind of how I approach everything, I guess, as a crossfitter, kind of just, I want a general level instead of a super specific level. Um, and for me, that's playing, you know, being able to like, playing kind of a pop pop rock band, playing metal bands, playing, you know, all sorts of different styles. So you're, yeah. so you're in high school, you, you join a band. Yep. What was that band called? <laughs> Global scam. Global scam. And are you yeah. at this point in time? So high school, you turn, what the, were you 13 or 14 when you start? Yeah. So is this like is this when like the straight edge and vegan kind of kicked in, or when when do you really? Uh, that was before I, I became straight edge when I was 
15 and vegan when I was 16. Okay. So I wasn't straight edge for the early bands. And then I was in a band called Straightforward, still not straight edge, but then I became straight edge at that point. That was like when I was 15. And then I had met at hardcore shows, like a few vegan straight edge kids in, in the area. And they were musicians looking for a drummer. So I quit straightforward to join this band, which eventually led to like, these were people who were friends with like Pete Wentz and everyone else that I've been friends with since. So what was the start of fallout boy? Uh, I wasn't in it initially. It was, I was in like three other bands, so they didn't want to ask me. I, I ended up filling in. They asked me to fill in on a tour. And then I, I was in a band called Project Rocket and a band called The Kill Pill at the time with a lot of, like, The Kill Pill had the one of the guitars from Straightforward, who was my first, like, real band, I'd say. Um, so he was in that. And then the singer of that band was in is in Ray Trader, which is still a band I'm in now, but um, which Pete was in years ago. Um, and then Project Rocket was with other people. And Project Rocket ended up doing a split with Fall Out Boy when both bands first started. And Fall Out Boy at that time was just kind of, Pete was doing this band, this hardcore band, Arma Angelus, and we had done tons of hardcore bands, you know, for years before that. And I think for both of us, Project Rocket was also kind of a pop punk band. We just wanted to do something different and less serious and less like intense, I guess. Um, so yeah, I wasn't on the EP on that split and then they needed a drummer to fill in. And then they were demoing songs for a new record, which ended up becoming take this to your grave. And the guy producing it, Sean O'Keefe was like, the, the drummer at the time that they had at the time was not very good. And Sean O'Keefe was like, yeah, we're not recording with him. Why don't you get Andy to do it? So they asked me if I'd demo some songs and I did. And the rest is history, I guess. Then yeah. I was just, uh, you know, at that point I was just, I was just in the band. Do you and that those <laughs> demos became take this to your grave. Do you still stay in touch with the person who was the drummer before you? Um, I never knew him. He was, I think he knew Joe or Patrick. Yeah. So. Well, he knows you now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I guess so. <laughs> that's, ama that's amazing. And, and at what point, because I mean, you're, you, you're being a part of, of bands and I imagine too, with like the hardcore, it's not like, Hey, we're going to make it really big. It's, it's a lot of passion in it. And there's, there's yeah. levels of shows where it's like, Hey, we've graduated. We're working up towards this did you ever have a moment where it was like like hey this is you know this is where we wanted to be this is like the pinnacle or was it just like each just like not having expectations and continuing to see how far it went do you ever have any of those like big almost like aha moments or like like step back moments yeah totally i i think it's both things i mean i think it was just an evolution and we we're doing it because we loved it. And this is, you know, the only thing we truly want to do. And that, you know, that the fire that's been in us since we were 
born, I guess. Um, so, you know, like kind of not an option, like we could be, you know, the first tours, the tour that I joined Fall Out Boy for was literally just us and the other bands on tour were the audience. Like no one came out, like no one cared and that's fine. Like we're getting to go around the country, play all these different places, eat food at different places, like sleep in, you know, weird people's basements and shit. Like it's just a fun adventure. And, and I would do that forever. You know, I don't care. Um, so there's that aspect, but there's also, there were definitely milestones and moments. Like I remember maybe Grand Theft Autumn when I first heard that, like in a more complete form being after being recorded. I, well, first off, I had a feel, a good feeling about Fall Out Boy because just hearing Patrick's voice and, and like how good of a songwriter he is, I knew that there's potential, like he has an amazing voice. And then two, hearing that like finished version and like all the harmonies and like how big it was recorded. I was like, Oh my God, this is insane. Like this could be something like not thinking it would be, but like, you know, to me, it was like, this is the most amazing thing I've ever been a part of. And then recording Sugar We're Going Down, I heard, you know, there were like harmony parts, like background parts that were added that, you know, in demoing and writing it, I didn't hear because you add those things, you know, as you're doing the record. And I was like, holy shit, this is, you know, that was like another level. And then there's just, you know, constant points in the evolution of the band, like, the first time we headlined the Metro, which is like a big club in Chicago that, that we always wanted to play. Um, and then, you know, the first time you headline different places, like the first time you play different places, being on tour with different bands, then the first time you headline places, like all these moments. Like I remember signing the contract with Island Records, you know, our first major label. And like that was like, oh, I, even if nothing happens, I've, I've done this. I've signed to a major label. Like, so there's all sorts of different moments that are kind of, you know, I could go on, we could do hours of a podcast just on that. It's, I don't know. It's just, it's so in a, in a world where you create art, it's, you know, it's difficult rather than, you know, if I, if, if it's my goal to, to create and make a product. And then you create the product that's yep. satisfying a need. It's like, okay, it's a, it's a little bit more objective. But I can see how it is a lot more of an emotional roller coaster creating art that is, I suppose, the efficacy on, hey, is this good or not, um, from a label standpoint, is how many people want to listen to it. Where, you know, there's some mm -hmm. artists, and I think that you're you're probably in that category of artists that are like, I will play if no one likes it. I, if I like something, and I, what I really loved is your first two examples weren't, oh, when you hear like a crowd go crazy after a song, it was like when I heard our music, I was like, this is something that's really cool. And then other people follow along, along and like it. Um, I think it's really, really special. And it's, it's, I don't know, it just makes me like happy to hear that, to hear it's like, oh, we heard this song. And then it's like, oh, you know, I heard the extra things that in this song called Sugar Were Going Down. And then it goes down as being like one of the most streamed and listened to like like rock punk pop songs in, of all time. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's wild. But I mean, that's true. I think the key to success is like, as an artist is loving your art. Like it shouldn't matter what anyone else thinks. It should be something that means a lot to you, you know? And like, then, then you can't fail. I mean, in terms of like commercial success, I guess, like if, if that's not the point and you don't like stake your ego and, and your happiness to that, like if you're just making art that you believe in and that you love, that's all that matters. And that should matter. Do you feel the same passion when, you know, from that, when you first got asked to record and and do the demo as, I mean, last album you guys put out was incredible. And do you still feel that same way? Do you still feel the same thing? I mean, probably, probably still some nerves, but probably a little bit less once you've done it enough with like touring. But I mean, do you still feel like you're like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to keep doing this. What are the, what are your, what are kind of your plans? Or do you even have like goals outside of it? I mean, as someone who's like checked every box and what any music, you know, artist would want to do, it's like, what, um, what's the drive and passion? Is it just making your own music or what's, you know, kind of what's, what's next? Yeah. I mean, I still definitely have the same passion and love it just as much. The new record, uh, so much for Sourdust is my favorite record we've ever done. And I think means the most to me because it's kind of an accumulation and like, uh, realization of like, everything we've done and everything we've learned and all the wisdom we've gained from being musicians and being in a band together for so long and all the experiences we've had kind of in one record. And I think my other favorite record otherwise is fully I do, which I think was kind of critically not our best record. And, you know, we went on hiatus afterwards and I wasn't sure we'd be a band again. And, you know, thankfully we were, um, but I, I feel like this is kind of, to me, a spiritual successor to that record where that was a record where I think Pete put everything in it lyrically, Patrick put everything and Joe put everything in it from a songwriting standpoint and kind of like kitchen synced it, just like everything that in, has inspired Patrick as a songwriter like is in that record. But I think it's too much maybe like, it's could be alienating because it's so it's so much stuff and there's no like uh focus to it it's like too wide and and you know like the spotlight's too bright and crazy whereas i think so much for stardust is really focused and and it has everything in it but in a really focused like way that we could only do at this stage in our career as people have been in a band together and know each other as musicians and know what we want from an album and, you know, all that stuff. And I, I think, you know, after going through the pandemic and how crazy that was, and, you know, obviously that informs this, this record and, you know, makes me so much more thankful for it because, you know, it, it was years not doing it, not knowing when we'd get to do it again. So it just, you know, it definitely, means as much if not more than it did then because because i've experienced so much more life and you know for me like i will i want to play music until i die you know and and tour and and make 
records. It's all I want to do. Like, so in terms of what's in the future, you know, that's, that's all I want. But I mean, specifically, we, you know, we leave for tour, we start tour June 21st at Wrigley Field. And then that goes into like August 6th or something. And we go to Europe in October or Japan in August after the tour for a fest and then Europe in October. And then I think Australia at the end of the year. So more touring in the future. That's so awesome. I got to look up now. When do you, do you know if you're coming to Boston? Yeah. Fenway. When is that? Fenway baby. Uh, which I'm really stoked about because the Hella Mega Tour came through. Uh, I'm looking. Came through Fenway, but we had to cancel because of COVID in the band. So I was afraid we'd never be able to play August 2nd. Oh. And obviously Fenway is such a legendary place that, you know, I'm so stoked we get to play it. I'm stoked it's August 2nd too because I will uh I will have my daughter in town and so we are definitely going to one train and then two come out to see that Fenway is such an iconic like well when you said Wrigley at first too I'm like that's so cool like I mean some of these like massive stadiums that are I mean beyond a lot of very successful musicians you know ability or, or capability but to be able to play like those things that's so awesome I'm stoked for you guys yeah thank you I'm stoked as well. And, um, and so for, you know, are there any other, you know, with the other things you're doing with like hardcore bands and that is that, um, what does that kind of look like with, you know, being, you know, a, a, a part of fallout boy? Does it, is it like, Hey, I do this on free time or Hey, if it's like, Hey, there's this allotted time for it. Or if it, is it just like passion project stuff? Uh, I mean, it's passion project stuff that I do when there's breaks and mm. the schedule or the cycle, I guess, because we're on record cycle now, obviously. So that means things will be super busy, but I was, at, I actually recorded eight songs for an album with another band I'm in called sect. So I recorded eight songs like when, you know, we've had some time. So the record came out in February and like, the start of the year basically until or March 24th, I think the record came out. So start of the year until March 24th when the record came out, we're basically like a sprinted marathon where it was just like constant, like flying all over the place, like tons of press press days were literally like from the time we wake up at eight in the morning until when we get back to the hotel at eight. And then, I, you know, I'm just so exhausted. I, just go straight to bed, uh, super busy. So there's no time for anything. And then we had a few one-off things and then May was pretty much open. So over pandemic, the guys I'm in, in sect with, uh, were writing songs and then, you know, finished the record and we were just kind of trying to find a time to record so luckily I was able to find time and time to learn the songs too. Cause it's, I can't learn, you know, I can't learn an album to record and then go do something else. I kind of have to like focus like for recording. Mm -hmm. Like I could do that if I'm just playing shows, but like 
you know, the focus I need to record is different. So, you know, we were able to do that like earlier in May. Uh, and those guys are doing the guitars and all that stuff. And hopefully that'll be done sometime to release maybe in fall. I, I have no idea yet, but yeah, I, I, you know, I love to stay busy for me. It's kind of lets me, you know, do like, uh, work other muscles as a drummer, you know, because obviously double bass stuff or blast beats is just so much faster and, and takes such a different muscle than anything in Fall Boy does. So it's really fun to be able to do both things. Um, well, I'm excited to, uh, I'm excited to hear that. I'll have to kind of stay up to date on that for the, when that releases, I've always been a, thank you. I've always been a big, like, um, like double bass fan. And, uh, yeah, me too. And it's like, I think, I, I don't think it's as a pre, I think as soon as you kind of turn light on it for someone, people are like, Whoa, that's exactly what I'm listening to rather than when you kind of hear the whole thing. So yeah, I'm, yeah. I, I think that's all. And, and you're, we're going to get some of that with the, the release for a sect. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully in fall. Beauty. So, um, yeah, I'm stoked. Well, I don't want to take too much more of your time. I know we went over our time limit a little bit there. I said an hour, but I feel like one, even when you're like, oh, I could talk about that stuff for hours. I think it's, again, it always like makes me happy and makes me smile when you're like, here's a, you know, here's a story. Here's something where it just like where things were falling into place. And especially for someone who is so passionate about your craft, even hearing you say like, I want to play it until I die. Not being like, I want to, you know go do something else. I felt like I've mastered this. Like it, it really is like true passion. And I think that's incredibly inspiring for the audience that listens to this is just kind of big in the fitness world, not even necessarily CrossFit, but a lot of it is, mm -hmm. is trainers and people that have, you know, have gone from corporate jobs to like, Hey, I'm just going to be a trainer and, and being able to find that passion in there. So I think that what you say speaks and, you know, incredibly to those people and to hear it from someone like you with your level of, of success, both in your own right, in your own mind and for everyone else's, you know, that it kind of goes without saying, but it's, it's really cool. And, and I really appreciate the time of you hopping on here to chat. Yeah, of course. Thank you. I and, mean, it, it's awesome to do stuff like this because I obviously am not recounting stories like this to my fiance every day. Like this is yeah. just stuff. Not that I haven't, I've, we, we talk about that stuff all the time, but it's just not a thing I think about all the time. And it's, it, it's awesome to kind of go back and, and remember these things and talk about it. So I appreciate you asking me on. Oh, for sure. Well, one, I look forward to seeing you, um, in August, August 2nd. And two, if you need a trainer on tour, when you, when you guys are going overseas, you want that, that extra bit of, of someone who's, uh, you know, He's going to coach and critique you. You let me know and we'll, we'll make that happen. Yeah, for sure. I will. Awesome, man. All right. Well, you're the man, Andy. We'll, uh, we'll be in touch. I'll shoot you a message, um, after this with all, all the goods and all the, the stuff on, um, you know, like little clips of it and we'll post it up here. And then if anyone wants to reach out to you, probably easiest way is, is Instagram or is there like an email that you want? Yeah. Instagram, I'd say. All right. Perfect. Yeah. We'll add the Instagram link down below. And uh, for everyone cool. else out there, you know, you can follow us along at Big Night Fitness uh, on Instagram. And um, if you have any questions for either of us, you send us a, a DM. We'll, we'll always get back to you. Maybe not in, you know, 
10 seconds, but we'll, we'll definitely get back to you. And if, uh, if you want to hear from Andy directly, just, uh, head over to his Instagram page. And, uh, again, can't thank you enough for coming on brother. Yeah. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.